Hello, my name's Tom Boone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we usually give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. However, this week we're going to take a slightly different approach. Some of our lead journalists have recorded a short summary of what went on in their region during the year that was 2022. To get things started, we're going to turn to a familiar voice to talk to us about what happened in Africa this year. Joe, take it away. Thank you, Tom. And it's Joanna Bailey here reporting on the biggest stories from African aviation in 2022. So Africa started the year with the weight of COVID still hanging over it. After the emergence of the Omicron variant in late 2021, airlines had been forced to unwind their recently reinstated international flights as governments added hotel quarantines and other restrictions back to the agenda in a bid to stem the spread. But in mid-December, the UK vowed to undo this requirement, finally understanding it was nothing, to, doing nothing to help public health. So from January onwards, long-haul African airlines made great strides to ramp up their international international schedules, as did international airlines flying into African countries. With Australia's entry requirements also relaxed, flag carrier Qantas resumed regular flights to South Africa in early January and was rapidly followed by many others. Some of the most notable international airline route launches and resumptions included behemoth long-haul connector Emirates, which resumed seven routes to African countries before the end of January this year. This included Johannesburg, Nairobi, Addis Ababa and Dar es Salaam, as well as Harare. And then as Morocco opened its borders in early February, international flights returned there too, including Iberia, which reinstated its daily flights to Tangier and a nine times a week service to Marrakesh from its home in Madrid. Virgin Atlantic had already resumed flying to Johannesburg in the fall of 2021, but it took a little longer to add back its second South African destination. Cape Town finally resumed in May, the first for the city since 2015. U.S. carrier Delta Airlines also bet big on its African flights, with services to Lagos, Johannesburg and Dakar already in the schedule at the start of the year. In June, it also returned to Lagos from JFK, making its second connection to Nigerian city after Atlanta. Cape Town was also on its agenda, something that it locked horns with United Airlines over, but successfully went ahead with in early December via a triangle route connecting the two South African cities with Atlanta. United got back to South Africa too, touching down to a hero's welcome in November this year. Qatar, of course, never stopped flying to Africa, but for next year, it has a record number of services planned. Up to 34 daily departures from Doha are going to be connecting 30 African destinations from July onwards, demonstrating the carrier's enthusiasm for connecting the continent. So while the resumption of international connections is positive indeed, local airlines have had a more difficult 2023. The end of Comair and its Kalula subsidiary was not entirely unexpected, but it still left a large void in South Africa's connectivity. Mango Airlines, although under business rescue since 2021, is looking increasingly unlikely to return to the skies. Adding to the exodus was the August liquidation of Tchadia Airlines, leaving the nation of Chad without a national carrier. Nigeria's aero contractors looked ready to pull the plug too, but has since notified of a service restart, reportedly resuming flying from Port Harcourt earlier this month. 
According to CH Aviation data, two more airlines have officially ended services this year, Eswatini Airlink and Medview Airline. But it's not all bad news. Counterbalancing the end of Eswatini Airlink, a new startup, Eswatini Air, looked ready to enter the market this year as it took delivery of its first airplane in March, an Embraer ERJ145. However, delays with certification means the airline hasn't actually operated a passenger flight yet, but gives hope for a new airline in 2023. Also adding to the mix of forthcoming airlines is Air Arabia's latest subsidiary, Air Arabia Sudan. No launch date has been given for the startup, but given the group's track record with subsidiary airlines, we could hope it will actually go ahead next year. Then there's Ghana Airlines, a carrier being launched by the Ghanaian government in partnership with fellow startup Ashanti Airlines. Nigeria is eyeing a new carrier too, with Nigeria Air pegged for launch in time for summer 2023. Having been granted its air transport licence by the Nigerian Civil Aviation Authority, that doesn't seem too far-fetched. And then, of course, there's Eurowings Discover, the Lufthansa Group's long-haul low-cost carrier. Even though it started in 2021, which included flights to Windhoek, this year it saw the launch of the add-on of the destination of Victoria Falls. Maybe we'll see Eurowings Discover touching more African destinations next year. CH Aviation lists a total of 28 new airlines announced in Africa this year, an incredible number given the challenges startups face right now. Of these, the only active carriers to date are Eswatini Air, Medsky Airlines, Rwanda Air Cargo and AB Airlines Congo. But it does give hope for more connectivity to arrive once we move into 2023. Rounding up the biggest stories from African aviation this year is no easy task. There's been a whole lot going on. The return of South African Airways, of course, drew a lot of attention, particularly giving its proposed plan to form a new alliance with Kenya Airways. Having snagged investment from the Tatatsko Corporation, the carrier is slowly but surely reforming its place in the market. But it is being incredibly cautious about which routes it resumes, particularly on the international front. The widely publicised incident of two sleeping Ethiopian Airlines pilots missing their destination in August shone a light on working conditions and the issue of pilot fatigue. While the incident did bring Ethiopian under the spotlight, this isn't a problem that's unique to Africa. Just look at the labour disputes in the US and elsewhere to see how widespread these concerns are. Some of the most exciting new aircraft additions this year included the Egyptian government's VIP Boeing 747-8 finally receiving its coat of paint ready for entry into service. African cargo carrier Astral Air has become the launch customer for the Embraer E-190F freighter, as well as the Airbus A320P2F. Now, although Royal Air Maroc joined OneWorld in 2020, it had to hold off the celebrations until this year due to COVID restrictions. It was well, it was OneWorld's first um, African carrier, but now looks to be joined by a second African member as Rwandair is eyeing the possibility of meeting the alliance's requirements, naturally with a bit of help from its partner Qatar Airways. Emirates on-again, off-again flights to Nigeria have been a soap opera of a story, with trapped funds at the heart of the issue. IATA recently stated that approximately $2 billion of airline funds are being blocked worldwide, with $1.2 billion of that accounted for in Nigeria, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Lebanon and Algeria. 
Compounding Nigeria's aviation recovery has been a fuel shortage, affecting airlines in the early part of the year. Accusations of jet fuel being stolen for export have added to the problem, with the shortage seeing aviation fuel prices rising to levels previously unheard of in the country, making it very difficult for carriers to continue operations. But it's not only Nigeria that has had a fueling issue. Senegal asked carriers to tanker jet fuel as it struggled to maintain supply. Johannesburg grappled with issues in May and Cape Town was hit with a shortage in September. Hopefully these issues are behind us now as supply chains begin to settle down and consistency is restored. The latest reports suggest the single African air transport market, or SATAM, could be gaining momentum, but that's a story we've been hearing for many years. Hopefully, as we head into 2023, there will be some movement on this incredibly important issue, which could see African aviation soaring to new heights in the years to come. Back to you, Tom. Thanks, Joe. So that was Africa. Now let's turn to the Asia-Pacific region, where Michael is going to take us through what happened in his neck of the woods. Thanks, Tom. It's Michael Doran here, lead journalist for Simple Flying for Australia and Asia Pacific. As, as we wind down on 2022, it's time to take a look back at how aviation in Asia Pacific has fared over the last 12 months. Everyone will have their own views on what the key issues are, but for me, they can be summed up in five words. Numbers, borders, capacity, China and aircraft. So let's have a quick chat about those. On the numbers, the industry body that most reports on the region is the Association of Asia-Pacific Airlines. In 2019, Asia-Pacific Airlines carried 375.5 million international passengers and was growing by around 4%. In 2020, that fell to 70 million before taking a real nosedive in 2021 to carry just 16.7 million passengers. The pendulum is slowly coming back and between January and October this year, Asia Pacific's airlines carried 74.4 million international passengers, which is good, but it's hard to fathom that in the same period in 2019, it carried 311.8 million. They are extraordinary numbers and the impact of going from 375.5 million to 16.7 million passengers in a year is so deep that it will take many years for aviation in the region to fully recover. On borders, many, many nations in Asia Pacific have large domestic markets, which has helped to keep them going, but it's the flow of international traffic, both within the region and externally, that really gives the industry its impetus. Asia Pacific is often used as a geographic grouping, but in fact, it's a collection of many different nations, many of whom took their own path in navigating COVID. Countries such as Australia and New Zealand were very quick to slam their borders firmly shut, while others went through a few false starts in an attempt to keep connections open. Airlines and airports have been very good at responding to easing border restrictions and some, which include Singapore Airlines, have moved really quickly to resume flying as soon as the rules allowed. The change in passenger numbers over the last six to eight months is closely linked to when each country or region has lifted its travel restrictions. The recent openings in northeast China, such as northeast Asia, 
such as in Japan, Taiwan, South Korea and now Hong Kong, are a testament to how quickly capacity is added back when the regulations allow. Looking at capacity, there's nothing like an empty bank account to switch the focus from growth at all costs to a more disciplined approach rather than simply throwing cut price capacity at the market to win share. Now that demand has returned, airlines have taken a disciplined approach to managing capacity, building and keeping load factors profitable before adding more seats. Some of that was forced upon them by the lack of people, the soaring fuel costs and the cost of returning aircraft to service, but they have been careful not to get too far ahead of demand. The downside for us passengers is that fares are reaching all-time highs as aircraft are flying full, And for this region, the real test is about to come from end-of-year holidays and Lunar New Year travel peaks. It was surprising to see in Australia that the competition regulator warned the big airlines like Qantas, Virgin Australia and Jetstar not to keep ticket prices high by constraining capacity. In general, airlines are now scrambling to get aircraft back in operation so they can open new routes or resume those suspended during the pandemic which will see the return of some discounting on ticket prices. As for China, at a recent uh, Association of Asia-Pacific Airlines assembly in Bangkok, China was referred to as the elephant in the room, not even in the room. Throughout the region, China has traditionally been the most significant source of inbound tourism and spending and has fuelled the growth that catapulted Asia to the fastest growing aviation market in the world. For its own reasons, China has stuck with its closed-door policy, although that door is now creaking open, and that's why international traffic is well below pre-COVID levels. The simple fact is that new comparisons need to be made because until China rejoins the world, recovery to 2019 passenger levels is not possible. What is impressive is that airlines and airports in the region have got on with recovering where they can rather than lamenting what's happening in China. They have rebuilt the ecosystem to exist without the unbalanced reliance on China it was heading for, and now when China returns, it will be adding to the system, not dominating it. On aircraft, it's been a big year for Airbus and Boeing. Airbus seems to have sailed through it, with its biggest problem being delivering all the new generation aircraft that airlines are clamouring for. Boeing has faced many well-publicised issues, but it did manage to get 787 deliveries back on track and many of its 737 maxes off the parking lot, although, again, China remains a stumbling block there. No matter which team you support, the industry needs at least two major OEMs competing and innovating, so it is good for airlines that Boeing is on its way back. Airbus and Boeing have nearly 13,000 aircraft in backlog, with a significant share of those marked for Chinese customers. It's no secret that China has its own ambitions as an aircraft OEM and the current geopolitical environment adds to the fraught nature of international trade. It's worth reading a recent Simple Flying article about the first delivery of a China-built Comac ARJ21 to an overseas customer. In this case, it went to Indonesian regional carrier TransNusa. The market forecasts that Airbus and Boeing publish every year that detail how thousands of new aircraft are needed for Asia-Pacific illustrate the opportunity that exists for COMAC just as much as it exists for Airbus and Boeing. While technologies differ and building a local industry takes time, it's not out of the question that at some point China's government could mandate the airlines to support 
the local aerospace industry. That would really break the duopoly and play havoc with all those years of production Airbus and Boeing have on their books. So looking ahead for 2023, how does the landscape look? COVID has forced aviation to rebuild differently and airlines have done that rather than simply coming back as pale imitations of what they were in 2019. The industry has gone through a forced restructure and learned to do more with less, although not yet totally successfully, and actively implemented technology that we talked about for years. On a recent trip through Bangkok's airport, I saw how automated procedures such as self-check-in, bag drop and biometrics really do speed things up and just as importantly, take the pressure off the manual desks. At peak morning time, both check-in areas were uncrowded and moving quickly, leaving passengers to choose which method actually suited them best. After being directed to follow orders for the last three years, passengers want to be more in control of their travel and that can be a win-win for them and the airlines in 2023. So now it's back to you, Tom. Thanks for that, Michael. That's really good to hear after the tough 2021 much of the region had. Now let's hop across the Pacific to Daniel to find out what happened in Latin America this year. Thank you, Tom. It's Daniel Martinez, Simple Flying South America lead journalist. The Latin American aviation industry has plenty to talk about in 2022. From two airlines emerging from Chapter 11 bankruptcy processes to new startups and airports opening up and freaky accidents in Lima and Asuncion, it is a year to remember. Let's take a look at the biggest stories of the year in the region. Let's start with Latam and Aeromexico, the two airlines that emerged from Chapter 11 this year. It can all be traced back to May and June 2020, when three Latin American airlines filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcies in the United States. It was a sign of how the pandemic was impacting the bottom lines of airlines all over the world. Avianca, Latam, and Grupo Aeromexico filed in that order for Chapter 11 procedures. While other airlines in Latin America ceased operations, for example, Interjet in Mexico, TAME in Ecuador, and Itapemirim Transportes Aéreos in Brazil, these three major carriers managed to come out of the darkest tunnel in aviation history. Avianca did it first, in December 2021. Then, in March 2022, Aeromexico announced it was emerging from Chapter 11. The Mexican flag carrier went through a gruesome process, negotiating with listeners, employees and creditors to survive. Nonetheless, the worst is behind. Aeromexico saved almost 2 billion US dollars and had an exit financing facility of more than 1.4 billion dollars. The airline now has a fleet of over 140 aircraft, including 20 long-haul Boeing 787 Dreamliners. In November, Latam Airlines joined the post-Chapter 11 companies in Latin America. South America's largest carrier heavily reduced its fleet, got a strong financing, secured the backup of Delta Airlines, and even signed a joint venture with a US carrier. Neither Aeromexico nor Latam have returned to profitability. Nonetheless, both carriers have clear projections to do so in the next couple of years. This year, we saw the appearance of three airlines in the Latin American and Caribbean region. 2022 was a stark contrast to 2021, when only one airline was launched, only to cease operations six months later. We are talking about, about Brazil's Itapemirim Transportes Aéreos. But this year, Equair was the first one to launch operations. The new Ecuadorian carrier currently has three Boeing 737-700s and operates around 100 weekly domestic flights. 
Ecuador plans to get international and next year will focus on neighboring countries such as Bolivia, Colombia and Peru. Colombia also had a new airline this year. William Shaw, a regional entrepreneur, launched his latest carrier, an ultra-low-cost airline aptly called Ultra Air. This company currently has a fleet of six Airbus A320-200s and flies domestically in Colombia. Nonetheless, Ultra Air is looking to grow and recently filed a request to launch 33 international routes next year. The third and final airline to launch operations in the region this year was the Dominican carrier Arayet. This carrier began flying in September, operates with a brand new Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft fleet, is based in Santo Domingo, and flies to 18 international destinations. Do you want to know more about Arayet? We recently published an in-depth interview with the airline's CEO, Victor Pacheco, at simplifying.com. Now, let's talk about the new airport and terminals inaugurated in the region this year. In December 2021, Honduras inaugurated a new airport, Palmerola International, to serve the country's capital, Tegucigalpa. This new hub substituted the former Tonkantin International, which was heavily constrained and unable to grow. In February 2022, Santiago de Chile's International Airport inaugurated its new Terminal 2, which was built to handle only international flights. This new terminal measures over 200,000 square meters and had a cost of over 900 million US dollars. This year, Simplifying toured the new Terminal 2, including the TAMS brand new international, international lounge, and we can only say one thing, they are both incredible. Moving on to the, more, to the north of the continent, the Mexican government inaugurated in March the highly controversial Felipe Angeles International Airport. This airport course works simultaneously with the Mexico City International Airport and Toluca International Airport. Nine months after it was opened, the Felipe Angeles has over 200 weekly flights by six carriers and four international routes. It has received half a million passengers this year. In 2023, we should have more developments in airports throughout the region. For example, Lima Airport Partners, administrator of the Lima International Airport, is currently building a new runway, air traffic control tower and terminal there. Talking about Lima, the Peruvian capital city was witness to one of the freakiest aviation accidents this year. On November 18, Latam Peru flight LA-2213, departing from Lima to Juliaca, crashed with a fire truck crossing the runway while the aircraft was accelerating. Two firefighters died in the collision, which led to lots of controversy and Peruvian entities pointing fingers at each other. Latam's plane was greeting off after the crash. A month earlier, Latam had another incident. This incident took place near Asuncion, Paraguay. On Wednesday, October 26, Latam Paraguay was operating flight 1325 between Santiago de Chile and Asuncion. The plane diverted to Brazil because of severe weather at the destination. After a few hours, the crew decided to fly to Asuncion and face the extreme weather. While approaching the Paraguayan airport, the plane encountered heavy rain, a thunderstorm and extreme turbulence which led to several injured passengers and a heavily damaged aircraft. The plane, an Airbus A320, suffered damage to its radon, engines, and windshield. So, what can we expect next year in the region? The Latin America region had plenty of stories to tell this year. There were many that didn't make the cut. For example, we could have also talked about the solid regional recovery after the COVID-19 pandemic. 
or Avianca and Viva's ongoing merger story, or Mexico's project to allow eight and nine freedoms, which could allow foreign carriers to operate domestic flights in Mexico. These three stories should make the headlines next year. Uh, here are some other thoughts of stories that we should take a closer look next year. For example, will Mexico recover its Category 1 status with the Federal Aviation Administration in the United States? Or will Brazil passenger traffic fully rebound in 2023? Or maybe an airline will announce an aircraft order next year? It will be exciting to see. Back to you, Tom. Thanks for that, Daniel. I can't wait to see what you report for us next year. Now we're going to head up the coast to North America to find out what our US lead has to tell us about the year that was 2022. Take it away, Lucas. Thanks so much, Tom. So as 22 ends and many are preparing their New Year's resolutions that they may or may not complete, as we all know, not all of those get completed. We just wanted to take a quick look at some of the most important moments in North American aviation. Now, allow me to preface this by saying that uh, these are by no means the top five moments, the top five most important. These are some of the most memorable moments from the year. Uh, there are definitely more honorable mentions, but this is going to be our quick overview of what happened in North American aviation. And in particular, a lot of uh, events occurred in the United States. So 2022 was another year in which aviation worldwide continued to recover from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, but a year in which passenger numbers returned to pre-pandemic levels for many airlines. Though many carriers in the United States and Canada are experiencing passenger levels that they did in 2019 and even higher around some of the end-of-the-year holidays like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and expected to happen in the new year as well, not all have recovered their entire route and flight capacity. According to many American carriers, a pilot shortage is still an ongoing crisis and a significant factor which has led to the airlines not recovering their full schedules. The demand for trained pilots in the United States is exceptionally high right now because the supply is low. Uh, when the COVID-19 be pandemic began two years ago, I don't think anybody expected that air travel was going to rebound so quickly after significant numbers of aircraft were grounded, routes were cut, flights were cut, crew were sent home, were furloughed, or they were given leave packages or both. And now that air travel has recovered at such a, a strong rate, airlines are scrambling to train pilots and get them through their respective pipelines to get more planes in the air and reduce operational disruptions. Today, the problem is not even that there are not enough pilots in the United States, but rather that not enough pilots are trained and ready to fly for the airlines. Just in the last year, more than 10,000 commercial pilot certificates were issued throughout the United States. These numbers mean that the industry in the U.S. is set to surpass the current demand. Now, drama was also a focal point this year with Spirit Airlines. I believe I don't have much to say there, but we're going to talk about it anyway. So earlier this year, Spirit and Frontier, two ultra-low-cost carriers in the United States, two of the largest ultra-low-cost carriers in the United States, had announced a merger. And JetBlue was not happy with the plans, and JetBlue also had its own plans of merging with Spirit and intervened in the plan of Frontier and Spirit merging. Uh, JetBlue, another ultra-low-cost carrier, based on the northeast coast of the United States, uh, persuaded Spirit not to merge with Frontier, but to merge with JetBlue. 
And after months of trying and numerous offers, numerous, numerous offers, many of us maybe started getting tired of hearing, uh, oh, today there's a new offer from Spirit Airlines, uh, from JetBlue to acquire Spirit Airlines, excuse me. But JetBlue was relentless and eventually Spirit agreed to a merger. So uh, pending approval, the two airlines will be merging in the near future. As continuing with drama, complications remained constant for Boeing this year. Uh, there were some fuselage issues with the 787 recently, but the more serious story and more uh, well-known story is that Boeing is still trying to certify the Dash 7 and Dash variants of the 737 MAX aircraft family. The American manufacturer is currently facing an end-of-year deadline to certify the largest and smallest variants of the MAX aircraft family. And if the deadline is not met, Boeing will have to update cockpit technology of the aircraft. Uh, and speaking of the MAX, last week United placed a massive order for wide-body aircraft. And as a matter of fact, it's the most significant wide-body aircraft order in history. So it includes... Up to 200 Boeing 787 Dreamliners, 100 firm order, and another 100 options. And United has not specified which variants and what the breakdown of the orders will be. But in addition to the Dreamliners, United did add orders for another 100 737 MAX aircraft. Boeing and United hosted an event in Charleston, South Carolina at Boeing's final assembly for the 787 program uh, for the media, as well as many Boeing staff and United employees. And Simple Flying attended the event and also got to see the final production of, or the aft body production of the 787. Uh, on the same day that United Airlines placed its historic wide body order, Boom Supersonic, the up and coming uh, supersonic aircraft manufacturer, announced that it had finally acquired or made deals for engine manufacturers for the Overture aircraft. At its Greenboro site on December 13th, Boom announced that it has plans to work with three different companies, Flora Tur Florida Turbine Technologies, Standard Aero, and GE Additive, which is a unit of GE Aerospace, to create the engines for the Overture. Boom currently has orders for more than 10 times the amount of Concords ever built. So... May we see supersonic passenger aircraft being manufactured in the new future? Some think so, and some think not. I think only time will tell. But perhaps one of the most historic moments of the year, and definitely the most tear-jerking for many, was the final rollout, or was the rollout of the final Boeing 747 ever produced. On December 6th of 2022, after more than 50 years, Boeing rolled out its final 747 at Payne Field in Everett, Washington. In the 50-year history, 50-plus year history of the Boeing 747 program, almost 1,600 aircraft were manufactured. And before the final aircraft is delivered to Atlas Air next month, it still has to go through its regular test flights. The last two aircraft ever produced were ordered by a German shipping company, uh, I may butcher the name, but I believe it's Queen Nigel. Uh, if I pronounce that miscorrectly, I apologize. 
and the two aircraft will be operated by Atlas Air for this German company. There are other significant moments this year uh, in a couple of weeks and now here at the end of the year. Porter Airlines will be taking delivery of the first Embraer E195E2 aircraft in North America and will become its launch customer. Porter Airlines did announce recently that it has a all-new cabin experience for all of its passengers. And as well, the 5G saga in the United States was a ongoing story this year with the new technologies uh, potentially interrupting the radio altimeters of aircraft. And it seems like the issues with 5G are not over, with more rumors having surfaced in the recent weeks. So that is a quick roundup of some of the most uh, important moments in aviation in North America this past year. As I mentioned before, there are plenty others that we could talk about, but this was just meant to be a quick roundup. So thank you all for listening, and I hope that you all have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And Tom, it is back to you. Thanks for that, Lucas. Now, as you're all aware, I take a keen interest in what's going on in Europe's aviation industry. So I'll take the reins for a little bit as we look at what happened here. And I promise to only briefly mention the Airbus A380. We've reached the end of the first almost normal year for aviation since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and the industry can finally breathe a sigh of relief. The year's seen several major stories within Europe, and I've decided to round out some of the biggest for you, although it's impossible to list everything, so if you think of something we miss, let us know. Arguably the biggest thing to hit aviation in Europe and indeed the world this year was the Ukraine-Russia war. Very early on, this led to the sudden closure of Ukrainian airspace, which left a handful of aircraft stranded in the country. One of these was the mighty Antonov AM-225, the world's largest aircraft, which Joe and I have talked about quite a bit on previous podcasts. It now lays in ruins at Homestel Airport. A Wizz Air Airbus A320 was slightly luckier, escaping the country several months after it was grounded. Sanctions imposed on Russia have meant many airlines were unable to fly across the country when it was the most direct route. This led to some very circuitous routings, with some carriers such as Finnair particularly affected. For the time being, there's no clarity or concrete future regarding the whole situation, and this is likely to remain into 2023 because it's really impossible to say where things are going to go right now. But of course, it wasn't just a year of chaos for Ukrainian aviation. It was a year of chaos for many travelers across the board in Europe. In you know, we, we saw strikes, flight caps, and more. Strike action started early on in the year, and one notable strike saw Frankfurt Airport almost completely closed for departures on several consecutive Wednesdays in March as security staff went on strike. But it wasn't just the security staff. We also saw the likes of Lufthansa uh, pilots causing even more chaos when they went on strike in the summer. And of course, it wasn't just strikes that caused the misery for passengers. It was just generally perhaps not planning for what was going to happen. You know, if you look at Amsterdam, travelers were particularly impacted by incredibly long waits to even get into the airport terminal. We saw photos showing lines stretching down roads approaching the terminal, and it was just taking hours just to get inside the terminal. To combat this, airports such as Heathrow and Schiphol ended up capping the number of passengers able to use their facilities at the height of the chaos. 
This really annoyed some in the airline industry. And I remember sitting and hearing Tim Clark at the Farnborough Air Show um, giving his thoughts on this, and uh, they weren't particularly positive. Um, but, you know, Heathrow has since removed these caps, although Schiphol is extending them into 2023. Speaking of the fight in Farnborough Air Show, this for me was one of the highlights of the year. And it was the first time it has held in four years uh, because 2020 was can called off because of COVID-19. The show coincided with sweltering heat. And I remember first Tuesday was the hottest day in England since records began. And, you know, we definitely felt it stood out on the tarmac. But fortunately, the show's air conditioners fought the issue hard. And despite the heat, we had a relatively good time. You know, it certainly seemed quieter for commercial orders than usual. Uh, but Qatar Airways' Akbar Al-Baker did keep a surprise hidden for the end. His airline flew in free aircraft um, for Farnborough for the majority of the show. It was the 777, the 787, and one of their Gulfstream um, private, air, uh, private jet aircraft. And the man himself was at the show for quite a while. Um, we even managed to get some time to speak to him with some other journalists and discuss some hot topics like the A380 and the 777X. But on the Thursday, Al Baker really surprised us all by signing a deal for, with Boeing for 50 737 MAX 10 aircraft, 25 of which were firm. This is the largest member of the 737 MAX family. And it came at a time with... Um, Qatar, you know, they signed this deal with Boeing, but it was at a time when things weren't going so great for the carrier with its competition, Airbus. And, you know, since early 2021, the two have been rowing over the build quality of some of its Airbus A350s. You know, this row started off with just a single aircraft and now... Um, double digits worth of aircraft are grounded in Qatar. And the whole thing has really reached boiling point, And they've now faced off several times in the High Court of London. The most recent bout came earlier in December, and the judge decided to split the case into two. But, um, you know, there's just so much to say here. I can't even sum it up in this short podcast segment. So uh, if you do if you have been living under a rock and don't know what's going on with the A350 trial, definitely check out our website. We've got a long uh, list of all of the articles we've written so you can keep, um, keep up with the story wherever you join it. Um, but, you know, so... 2022 wasn't a good year for Airbus's relationship with Qatar Airways, but it was a great year for the Airbus A321 XLR. Uh, you know, it completed its first flight and then a bunch more flights, which we'll talk about now. You know, it's really designed to push the limits of the narrowbody family's range because it's got an additional fuel tank in its belly. So we saw the first flight of the A321XLR on June 15th, and coincidentally, this uh, coincided with the AIX cabin conference taking part in Hamburg, which, you know, that was another fun thing to, to, to do this year. But since then, you know, Airbus has been testing the type quite a bit. Uh, it's been flying a lot, and there's been additional aircraft that have also taken their first flight. Tuesday, December 13th, however, we really saw the plane stretch to its limits for the first time. So the first aircraft of the program took off around 8 o'clock in the morning, and it flew over to the Bay of Biscay and drew a huge XLR in the skies. Um, obviously, no one would have seen it unless you look at the flight radar um, track of the plane. It then flew up to the UK, to Norway, down across Germany, Czechia, Austria, and Italy. And then the test aircraft finally looped back to Toulouse. But this 
crazy long flight. It took 12 hours from taking off to landing. And you could see at the end, they were just holding, trying to kill some more time so that they could hit. I don't know if they needed to hit it or if they wanted to hit it, but... Um, in the end, the plane was flying for like 12 hours, which for a little twin uh, twin jet narrowbody, that's um, no mean feat. Um, so let's hope it was a flight with catering and that the toilets were all working. Um, but yeah, you know, that was 2022. 2023 is rapidly approaching and we're going to continue to keep up to date with all of the European aviation industry and other regions throughout 2023. So uh, keep an eye on this space. Before I go any further talking about Europe, let's head to India with Pranjal presenting our penultimate roundup of the podcast. 2022 marked a seismic shift for Indian aviation. After two years spent trying to survive the pandemic, this year saw airlines finally return to their roots and once again grow their passenger counts and destinations. From new names to old names and to freshly privatized names, here's a look at 2022's biggest stories. Undoubtedly, the biggest story of the last 12 months was the successful privatization of Air India. The ailing flag carrier wrapped up a two-year-long process and moved from government hands to the Tata Group. The move represented a homecoming for the airline, which was founded by JRD Tata 90 years ago in 1932. Since its privatization in January, changes have been taking place at breakneck speed. While they had a bumpy start with no chief permanent executive until May, there have been crucial improvements to the passenger experience and the future of the airline. Currently, former Scoot CEO Campbell Wilson is at the helm of Air India as it plans to become a global player once more. The top priority has certainly been fixing existing passenger issues, namely in servicing and scheduling, as well as an expansion on key unserved routes. On both, we can report progress has been made. First of all, Air India took the crown as India's most punctual airline in November. While this might seem like a small statistic, it's a title that would be considered inconceivable a year ago and was something the carrier had not achieved in over eight years. This highlights the growing focus on passenger experience and how the future could look like for the once great flag carrier. Secondly, Air India is wasting no time in expanding its reach either. The airline plans to add 42 planes in 2023, including 11 Boeing 777s coming from Delta Airlines as well, and 31 Airbus A320 Neos to support its long-haul and domestic ambitions, as it, as it looks to become the central competitor in India to low-cost giant Indigo. All these steps are part of a five-year vision called Vehan.ai, which will see Air India secure a 30% domestic market share, triple its fleet size, and improve passenger experience across the board. The story of Air India have only evolved in 2023, so keep an eye out for much more. Next up, we have a new kid on the block, Akasa Air. As aviation emerged from its darkest period in recent history, so did new players along with it. Indian carrier Akasa Air has founded, was founded by Jet Airways CEO Vinay Dubey and backed by legendary investor Rakesh Chunjanwala, who tragically passed away just a week after the inaugural flight took off. Akasa Air hopes to double down on the ultra-low-cost strategy that has seen so many airlines thrive in India and capitalize on the air traffic that is only growing year-on-year. Year. Akasa made its big splash with an announcement for 72 737 MAX aircrafts back in November 2021 and quickly put these aircraft to use, with 11 already present in the fleet. As the second MAX operator in India and the only one currently taking deliveries, Akasa is hoping to replicate the success of market leader Indigo, which made a similar move with the Airbus A320 back in 2005, a decision that has undoubtedly paid dividends for the carrier. Since its debut in August, Akasa now flies to 10 destinations across India and hopes to go international in 2023 once it reaches the required target of 20 aircraft. The carrier plans to grow by connecting Tier 2 and 3 cities to major hubs, 
boosting its traffic in the short term, but slowly expanding across the busier routes in the country as well. The ripple effects of Air India's privatization have affected not only itself, but three other major players, Air Asia India, Air India Express, and Vistara, all of which are wholly or partially owned by the Tata Group. Inevitably, consolidation came in November, with Tata announcing that Vistara, which is 51% owned by Tata and 49% by Singapore Airlines, would be merged with Air India, creating one full-service airline in the country. Meanwhile, Air Asia India and Air India Express would be merged to create the budget arm of the flag carrier. Notably, Singapore Airlines is not walking away from the Indian aviation market. Instead, it is taking a 25% stake in the new Air India group and has agreed to participate in future capital injections as well. This means the East Asian giant will have a much broader presence in India in the future, boosting connectivity and playing into its multi-hub strategy. While the end of Vistara may sadden many, it made sense for Tata to create one full-service carrier that can dominate on routes to Europe and North America, challenging larger Middle Eastern players in the process. The full merger will not take place until 2024, but expect to see a lot more coordination between the quartet in the future. This year, an old name was struggling again. The ups and downs of 2022 have not been felt anywhere more than at Jet Airways. In May, the carrier received its air operator certificate once again allowing it to theoretically relaunch flights and become the first Indian carrier to ever survive bankruptcy. Hiring of senior staff, cabin crew, and pilots quickly resumed as well, and all signs pointed to a winter relaunch of the once prominent name. However, the ghosts of the past are not easy to shake. Creditors from passengers waiting for refunds to employees to banks quickly came knocking on the door of the Caldrog Jalan Consortium, the new owners of Jet Airways. With the threat of insolvency looming if deals cannot be cut, Jet Airways has been forced to send staff on leave and delays relaunch into 2023. The saga of Jet Airways refuses to come to an end even four years after seizing operations, and another passenger flight is yet to take off. Safety was also in the spotlight in 2022 as low-cost carrier SpiceJet found itself in a string of incidents. From broken sensors to smoke in the cabin and even one tragic fatality, regulators moved swiftly to slash SpiceJet's flights until they reached the required standards. From July to October, the carrier was only allowed to fly 50% of its schedule as it fixed issues with aircraft and staffing as quickly as possible. The last two months has seen the situation improve dramatically, with no major incidents being reported at the airline and SpiceJet being allowed to return to its full schedule. The situation also highlighted the efficiency and stringent approach of the Civil Aviation Ministry and the DGCA to ensuring that Indian skies remain some of the safest in the world. While this roundup might be coming to an end, there's a lot more to look forward to in 2023. With all pandemic restrictions gone, airlines will be dealing with increased demand and increased costs, hoping to return to sustained profitability while attracting passengers with low fares. Once more, the sky is the limit for all travelers. Follow Simple Flying next year for more in-depth coverage of India and global aviation. And thank you for all your support this year. Thanks for that, Pranjal. Now, last but by no means least, let's head across to Yakov to tell us what happened more specifically in Eastern Europe this year. Thanks, Tom. So I'm Yakov. I'm the lead journalist for Eastern Europe and for Southeastern Europe as well. Characterizations of Eastern Europe vary depending on context. The area can be defined differently in cultural, political, historical and geographical contexts. But so for the purposes of this article, uh, it will include the, the geographical area stretching from Western Russia in the north to Albania in the south and from the Czech Republic and Slovenia in the west to Armenia in the east. Now, countless news stories in 2022 were important for local and national markets in this region. 
And three of the most significant ones were Czech Airlines exiting restructuring against all expectations and moving closer to its 100th birthday, which will be next year. Croatia Airlines' decision to replace its entire fleet with the Airbus A220 model. And Lot Polish Airlines losing its case to be declared a victim of crime in a dispute against Boeing. But unsurprisingly, the most significant story in the region was Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the consequences that this had for the airline industry. And there were both winners and losers from this. So let's start with Ukraine. Not surprisingly, Ukrainian aviation suffered the most. Ukraine was a highly promising aviation market back at the start of 2022. So at the end of 2021, the European Union and Ukraine signed a common aviation area agreement and immediately airlines responded. So Wizzair alone announced the launch of 26 brand new routes in the country from Kiev, Lviv, Odessa and Kharkiv. And these new routes were due to be launched between March 2022 and August 2022. They were to, so they were from those four Ukrainian cities to destinations, um, to all sorts of destinations. So we've got Pardubice, Thessaloniki, Athens, London Luton, Hania, Treviso, Nice, uh, Barcelona, Eindhoven, Madrid, uh, Basel, uh, Paris, Palma de Mallorca, Porto, Malaga, and Alicante. And uh, none of these ever uh, materialized in the end. So moving on to Mria. Um, Russia's ongoing destruction of Ukrainian society and infrastructure has taken many lives and it has destroyed many buildings. But one attack was particu particularly notable from an aviation perspective. And that was the irreparable damage done to the world's only Antonov AN-225 aircraft. And that was Mria. Moving on to massive lesser losses. When Russia's invasion was met by sanctions from a whole string of countries, a whole new saga unfolded. Now, Western lessers have lost billions of dollars in assets because they cannot repossess the aircraft that Russian airlines have leased and which they are no longer paying for. Air Lease Corporation alone is losing $18 million per quarter in rental revenue. No progress has been made on the issue, even though more than three-fifths of these aircraft are still in active service. Uh, moving on next to Finnair. Now, of all the airlines that took a hit due to airspace closures, Finnair has been hit the hardest. The Finnish flag carrier has had to abandon its strategy of shuttling passengers from Europe to East Asia, well, from North America as well, to East Asia via Helsinki. It still flies some of the routes it once used to, like Helsinki-Tokyo, but these now take hours longer and they burn far more fuel. To offset the major losses in CART because of so much surplus capacity it had this year with all the aircraft that it wasn't using now that it cancelled so many routes, uh, Finnair wet leased its own aircraft to other airlines in the summer. So two of its Airbus A321s flew for its One World partner British Airways out of Heathrow's Terminal 3. It also wet leased aircraft to Lufthansa to fly for Eurowings Discover as well. Now moving on to Air Serbia. So Serbia refused to impose sanctions on Russia following the start of the invasion. So Russia's airspace remains open for the country's flag carrier, Air Serbia. Now Russian airlines can fly within Serbia, but they cannot reach it. They can't get to it because Serbia is encircled by countries within the EU and outside of the EU who have all imposed sanctions on Russia. 
So Air Serbia is the only air, is the only airline that can operate on this market between Serbia and Russia. So as a result, Air Serbia suddenly gained a competitive advantage. Its management reacted straight away, boosting seat capacity to Russia and raising prices when faced with flights selling out weeks in advance. This provoked an international backlash. So Serbia's president personally announced in March 2022 that Air Serbia would be reducing seat capacity between Belgrade and Moscow uh, back to the frequencies that it had operated before the invasion. Now, before this reversal in frequencies, the Serbian national airline was a target of repeated bomb threats on its Moscow-bound aircraft, as well as in its sales offices as well. And all these bomb threats were ultimately false, the false threats, but they caused a major hassle for the airline as they led to lots of delays and even some aircraft having to turn back to Belgrade after taking off. The major negative backlash resulted in Air Serbia avoiding all public announcements relating to its Russian network. Most notably, the airline kept a completely low profile when it launched a new route for, uh, from Belgrade to Kazan. It now has a Russian destination network of four cities. So that's Moscow, Kazan, Sochi and St. Petersburg. Passengers on Air Serbia's routes from Russia have a rapidly growing destinations network to choose from. The Serbian flag carrier announced in multiple rounds lots of new route launches earlier this month, which will be taking place next year. Its hub, Belgrade Airport, remains the most easily accessible transfer hub for passengers originating their journey in Western Russia because of how close it is. So it is not surprising that the airline's entire network is benefiting. So that's Air Serbia's entire network. Turkish Airlines has also benefited from the airspace disruption. Turkey's flag carrier has a well-oiled transfer system in its hub Istanbul airport, and it is also accessible for passengers traveling from multiple points in Russia, because the airline actually flies to 36 different destinations in Russia. Emirates and Qatar Airways, among others, also benefited from the reduction in competition that Russia's airspace closure brought, and both are presently still flying to Russia. And lastly, a little bit about Russia itself as well. So international sanctions and airspace closures are always impactful for any country and for any airline. But the Russian aviation actually is possibly the best place in the world to withstand these uh, airspace closures. Given its large geographical size, Russia's airlines have been able to retain their massive domestic markets. And this has helped with their passenger flows. At the same time, travel to countries that can be reached from Russia without overflying the closed airspace has ballooned as Russians look for alternative tourism destinations. So prices for holiday packages to Turkey and to Egypt surged in March already for the summer. Aeroflot announced in September that it would be resuming long-haul routes to India, Sri Lanka and Thailand. And all three of these routes that were announced back then remain operational now. So with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, uh, this European region is bound to be as lively for aviation in 2023 as it was in 2022. Back to you, Tom. Thanks for that, Yakov. So that's all we've got time for this week and this year. We hope you enjoyed the show and please do leave us any feedback on your favorite podcast player. 
As always, you can find out more by visiting our website at simpleflying.com or search for Simple Flying on social media. Before we go, I want to quickly thank all our new and returning listeners for supporting the podcast in 2022, and we can't wait to bring you even more exciting content next year. 